The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the third chapter. Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man in whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, He has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. I once heard someone say that Adam and Eve first opened the door for temptation when they were willing to dialogue with Satan. Satan came to Eve without presumption. All he wanted to do was to talk. He just wanted a conversation. He wanted to present her with her options and to facilitate a discussion. Adam and Eve were thoroughly postmodern in their openness to anything. What's the harm in entertaining his ideas? The last thing you want is to be closed-minded. But what began with a seemingly innocent question about what God had really said quickly turned into a negotiation, which led to a compromise and finally to complete surrender. Perhaps you can see this progression in your own inner life. Every now and again, somehow from somewhere, there enters into your view a suggestion, just the notion that some sin or some vice might be pleasant. Take your pick. Gossip, lust, greed, envy, anger, contempt. If it isn't obvious to you at first glance, take a look at your life through the lens of the Ten Commandments. God's law is like a mirror. In it, you see yourself face to face, sins and all. And a careful look in that mirror quickly reveals where you are tempted. Now this suggestion, whenever it appears, is like the serpent in the garden. There's no presumption at first, just an idea, just a thought and a possibility. But when you entertain that suggestion, when you have a dialogue with Satan, you open the door for temptation. Although Satan has been vanquished, defeated, he is still a liar 
and a murderer. Although he cannot hurt you indeed, his words are still deadly. And if you enter into negotiations with Satan, you have already given up the whole game. There is a place in life for closed-mindedness. Just as St. James says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is perhaps a good place to pause and say a word about a strange part of our gospel lesson, about the unforgivable sin. Jesus said, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. I'm curious how Jesus' words strike you. There are two ways that we tend to go wrong with them. In the first place, you might think that Jesus is exaggerating, which might be how you also think about other things he said, such as, if your right hand causes you to sin, lop it off. Or sell all that you have and give to the poor. On the other hand, if you don't think that he's exaggerating, if you take him seriously, you might be terrified, wondering whether you've committed the unforgivable sin. It's important to know in the first place that Jesus means what he says. He's not given to exaggeration. In the second place, more importantly, you must also know that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is nothing other than saying no thank you to Jesus, insisting that you don't need him or that you don't want him. This is why talking about temptation and sin is essential. Because if you're not a sinner, then you don't need Jesus. Or if you think that your sins are too big for Jesus, then you're going to turn him away when he comes with his mercy and his forgiveness. And that's why the Christian life calls for self-examination, looking at yourself in the mirror of God's law, because that's how you know that you need Jesus. This is also why, circling back to the Garden of Eden, it's so important to be attuned to the suggestions which feed on desire, which gives birth to sin, which brings forth death. It's why it's so important not to negotiate with Satan, because he's not interested in simply getting you to sin. That, it turns out, is quite easy for him. What he wants is finally to convince you that your sins aren't real sins or that they are too big for Jesus. We learn a lot by observing the difference between Jesus and us. You'll hear it said time and again that Jesus, unlike the rest of us, does what he's told. He is obedient. Today we learn that, like Adam and Eve, you and I are inclined to negotiate with Satan. But Jesus is not. Listen to what God says to the serpent. He doesn't say, let's have a chat and sort things out. He doesn't offer to work towards a compromise. He doesn't even hear what the serpent might have to say. He decrees, very simply, the end of Satan. Jesus will crush your head, God says to the serpent. 
Likewise, when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus didn't entertain his suggestions. He did not let them have a foothold in his desires. He budged not an inch, drowning out the noise with the clear word of God. And today, as Jesus faces his adversaries, who accuse him of consorting with Beelzebul, with the devil, he doesn't mince words. He hasn't come into the strong man's house to try to talk him out of his goods. He hasn't come to have a conversation or to enter into some sort of partnership. He broke into, invaded the strong man's house like a thief. And he has tied him up and bound him. And now he intends to take what he wants. The strong man, of course, is Satan. His house is this world, and you and I are the goods in question which Jesus has come for. When it comes to saving you, Jesus is not open to negotiation. He is uncompromising. He knows that your sins are real sins. He knows that they are not too big for him. He knows that you need him. At times you may wish that Jesus were not quite so stubborn. He doesn't just refuse to negotiate with Satan, he also refuses to negotiate with you and with me. He's not interested in coming to some sort of a mutual agreement about how your life should go, about which sins you get to keep, or how much forgiveness you'll receive. He's not asking you what you hope to get out of this, and he certainly isn't open to a list of demands. He doesn't want what you can bring to the table unless what you're bringing is all of your sin. He insists that you be dead on arrival, necros, so that he can make you alive. If he were willing to compromise with you, if he were willing to meet you halfway and let you do your part, he would be inviting you to sin against the Holy Spirit, to say no thank you to the full divine life that he wants to give you. It may not seem like a good look for Jesus to be so uncompromising. But then again, we are most familiar with a stubbornness that is prideful and arbitrary, like when your kids refuse to eat their veggies or when your neighbor is into politics. But the stubbornness of Jesus is much more like that of a parent who won't let his child play in traffic. Nobody thinks that that parent is too uncompromising except, of course, for the child. Everybody knows what's at stake, that there is no room for negotiation. So it is with Jesus and his uncompromising, relentless, and stubborn love for you. When he puts his foot down, it is to crush the serpent's head. When he insists on shaping you in his image, it is to save you from sin and death. When he teaches you to turn away from temptation, to love and obey his commandments, and to do the will of God, it is because he wants to have you as his brother and sister and mother. Satan couldn't make Jesus budge, even as he died on the cross to give you his life. You can't make him budge either. So you should really just let him have his way. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.